Tucton Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the Gateway to the Catskill Park. Livingston Manor. Hello, 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 and welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday evening, Patricio Robayo. It's Friday. We made it. Let's take a breather here. Thank you for spending your Friday evening with me. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. In the second half of the show, we'll be interviewing Lisa Titus, a poet and English professor, discussing her latest poetry book entitled First Time, Every Time. But before we delve into that, it's Friday, which means every Friday we check in with the one and only Chris Rowley. We head over to Ellenville and find out what the Schwankwick Journal is writing about. Chris, you have an article this came out about the mayor, the outgoing mayor for Ellenville. It seems like he had a recent meeting and had a touch of flair in this meeting. Yeah, he, he, he left with uh, uh, some spectacular flair and, and an overall a party. It was the, the meeting uh, of, of just about the, the top meeting of all time in some ways. So the village uh, hall, the courtroom was packed. There was a lot of people standing at the back. There were, there were lots of kids. It was a kind of family, a family event as everything. There was a huge cake that the village staffers, the village clerk Tracy and Michelle Booth had pulled together. There was a great atmosphere going and Jeff was basically signing off after 22, 21 to 22 years as the mayor of Allenville. The new mayor, Evan Trent, he was there quietly in the back along with some of his voters and everything. And we've got to be clear, Kaplan lost pretty decisively. I think the percentages were like 60% for Trent. And that's going to happen to somebody who's been in power for that long when they finally get some opposition. Anyway, he was saying saying his farewells and this, that, and the other. And he, he gave some nice props to everybody, including the Shangram Journal. And then he took a detour into something that really was spectacular. He mentioned a developer, Levy Hecht, who works and operates well, all over. He works in Stoneman County. He works in Liberty. He works in Allenville and Warsing, whatever. But Kaplan said that Levy treats the village as a short-term lender in terms of the way he pays his property taxes and penalties, which he only does after he sells the properties that he's bought and renovated. Kaplan commended this. He said that during his time as mayor, uh, Levy had bought as many as 100 houses over, the, over that period and had turned them from being uh, downgraded and, and a bit rubbish, really, into homes that were up ready to be sold back on the market. And there were two things to this. First of all, the thing with the property taxes, which that was going to set people back a little bit. He, but Kaplan said he's not getting away with anything, that which got... I want to thank you, Levy. And then he went on to something that's fairly explosive to say that basically by doing that, Levy, who, by the way, is Avicha, uh, that's, that's the, one, of the, one of the sects of Hasidim, one of the more open and friendly sects, that by doing that, Levy Hecht had prevented Allenville becoming another Bloomingburg, which is a story I'm not going to go into here, but where everyone knows about it, where the Fatma Hasidim of Curious Joel had taken control and had, that he had prevented that. Some of us in the audience would have been, were rocked, put it that way, because this is a very inflammatory stuff and we knew there's going to be a major news story. 
And Kaplan credited Hecht as a point person for different investors who contributing to the village's stability by doing that. And he noted that problems had occurred with the other sects in Modicello, at Liberty, and other places. And he said that the answer to that is Levy Hecht. Levy bought these properties, rectified their problems, and sold them on the open market. So that base, which they used elsewhere, didn't happen in Ellenville. Anyway, as we progressed after that, there were, there were other things that were discussed. Other people were praised. There was a sort of a, the atmosphere was very solemn. And he ran quickly through, and I wrote this up really, the 22 years, because in the aughts, Ellenville was on the ropes. Ellenville had gone, was like somebody who had gone two, two rounds with Mike Tyson at his prime. First knockout was the loss of Schrade Imperial, which closed the big factory. The next one was when Hydro Norilsk closed out the what the old VAW aluminium smelter plant, despite promising not to, so that by the middle of that decade, Ellenville had lost hundreds of jobs and was just spiraling into uh, a complete morass. So that was that one. And then, of course, there was the pressure from the DEC for Ellenville to get its act together and do something about its, its wastewater. And that brought in the whole business with this new, relatively new wastewater treatment plant. Oh, man, it, it, it's, it's the way those things come, right? You, as soon as you get yourself off the mattress, or, sorry, off the canvas to stand up, here he comes again. Wham! Yeah. Anyway, and at that point, this is before, or this is about the time when Marcus Giuliano and his wife started Aromatime Bistro. That was the only thing. The only light in, in downtown Ellenville. Everything else was shuttered. There was just all empty storefronts, which meant, of course, that Aromatime Bistro was very crowded. But that, that was it. And then carefully, slowly, with help from the village in some ways and other ways, it's come back. And as Kaplan noted in an interview with me, he said, basically, today, the issue in Ellenville is finding a parking space in the evening. Not that long ago, it was way too easy. And that's the kind of problem that we're not unhappy to see. Uh, yeah, he's right. It's, it's really, it's picked up that way and become much more of a happy block there with the restaurants and, of course, the Shadowland Theater, which is which soldiered on right through the dark period. And he said some other interesting things. He said that he first ran for office, a judgeship back in 1980 when he was 27. And he said, I love municipal government, but I hate politics. And he noted that was weird because he is a politician. Yeah. But he also observed, and this is true, I think, that local municipal politics does the most for you, taxpayers, and as you go up the ladder, it costs you more and they do less. Mm. Part of that is they have more things than their remit, like aircraft carriers and so on. But it's, it's, it is true that you, people don't pay as much attention to the local politics as they should, but that's, that is the stuff that really affects us. Anyway, he laid love on the village staff, who have been terrific, and, of course, the streets department with Michael Jeter, who is an amazing guy, and, and of course, his wife, Marla, who works at the Ellenville School District. Alvin Trent also works at the Ellenville School District, where he's the IT person, and he will be the next mayor. And uh, there were all sorts of, what, what can we say, platitudes, praise, whatever. The town of Walsing was there. That's Terry Houck, the supervisor who presented Kaplan with a plaque to honor his decades of service to both village and town. And I thought, I like this quote that I got from Elliot Auerbach, who is another long-standing Ellenville figure and a former, I think he's a former mayor himself, said that Jeff leaves a great legacy, managed the village through some difficult times, 
And then he made this point. Most recently, COVID. We should recall that during that dark moment, Jeff did a pivot and called on the restaurant to be open in the streets program. That's mm. S-T-R, capital E-A-T-S program. Yeah. Serving was outdoor on the restaurant block on Canal Street on a few evenings a week. And they got uh, a band came down to play in front of the Shadowland. The Shadowland put on the power for that. The restaurants put tables out there. And it, it really became a party in the middle of the COVID, really dark time, on, on the block, the restaurant block in Allenville. And that, that, that could be laid certainly in part, a large part, to, to Kaplan during his mayoral, mayoral period. That was quite the meeting. And was there any backlash on what he said about the about the, the about the preventing those developments happening? Yeah, there's a little bit, not so much about that because I think people are quite happy that it wasn't Bloomingburg. But they, but the fact that Levy, as a business practice, buys something, doesn't pay the property taxes until he sells it, that I think will rankle with people. Uh, definitely will, man. But I, what I can tell from your reporting is that the the village, the actual well, the town, will actually make the village whole again. The county should make the village whole again. So that's good news. Again, thank you so much. We're talking to Chris Rowley from the Schwankuk Journal. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk to poet Lisa Titus about her new poetry book. We'll be right back. I'm but my love. Quite a guesswork wall Dreams a dream By the old canal I kiss my girl You are listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hello, if you're a book reader, and even if you're not, I'd like to invite you to join me, Aaron Hicklin, every Sunday at noon for Shelf Life on WJFF Radio Catskill, a show about books and the people who love them. Each episode, my guest picks two of their favorite books. I read them, and then we get together to talk about them. That's Shelf Life on Sundays at noon on WJFF Radio Catskill. This week on Selected Shorts, Edgar Carrot, Ruman Alam, and Gish Jen tackle the basics. Who, what, where. A child tests his boundaries, a father gets lost in himself, and a grandmother lives in two worlds. I'm your host, Meg Wallitzer. Please tune in. Sunday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected to Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Lisa Titus, a poet hailing from Grantsville, is publishing a poetry book titled First Time, Every Time. Lisa served as the Poet Laureate of Sullivan County for 2020-2021 and received a 2021-2022 Individual Artist Fellowship from the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance. Uh, additionally, Lisa was a nominee for the 2020 Pushcart Prize, and her book was a finalist for the Brick Road Poetry Prize. Her poetry book, First Time Every Time, is currently available for pre-order online and is set to go on sale on Christmas Day. Lisa Titus is on the phone with us now to share more about her work. Lisa, welcome to the program. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, Lisa, as the Port Laureate, uh, did your time in that role affect what you wrote about in your poetry book, First Time Every Time? I don't know if it necessarily affected what I wrote about, but it affected my output. I started really buckling down, and I was at a point in my life where I was like taking the poet role seriously, and I just started writing like crazy. And applying for the Poet Laureate position you had to have a poem about Sullivan County. And I did, and that poem is in this book. And I, so obviously I thought a lot about where I'm, where I live and what it means to me and also how it connects to where I'm from. But those kinds of things do show up in my poems and in what I was writing at the time. I remember during that time, because you became Poet Laureate during the, the pandemic and everything is switched online. I know we've talked a little bit off air that you thought some of the Zoom things were impersonal, but I appreciated it as a, as a, a watcher because we were all home, we were all shut down, and sure. the internet and, the, and social media and Zoom was our only connection to have your daily poems every day on my feed was uh, a welcoming sight for me. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that is the one thing I did, the, the poems I, I put out every day. That was something that I really enjoyed doing. It, felt good to me too. I felt like I was doing something. And that was like a strange time for all of us. So I can totally understand that. And I'm glad that people enjoyed it and were listening in. Now, the title of your book, First Time Every Time, can you explain and uh, more about the title, how you came up with it? And, and you explain how looking at the world in, in your way influenced what you wrote in your poetry? The easy answer is it's actually a line in my book, in, in one of the poems. <laughs> so that's but I always have my teacher's of poetry and the poets that I've read, it, uh, Walt Whitman says a poet looks at the world basically the way a child looks at, at the world. I'm totally paraphrasing, but with the eyes of a child. And that, that sort of sticks with me when you are writing about experiences, when you're writing about things that you witness or observations, you have to look at them brand new. And that's, that's where that whole idea comes from. And it also, to me, it's a bit of a reinvention personally. So that kind of, it fits there too. So it, it just all came together in that title. You dedicated your book to women saying that their stories are important. So you could talk more about that dedication. How does this dedication show up in your stories and messages in your poetry book, First Time Every Time? For me, uh, the book, uh, most of the poems come from a first person perspective. And I, and, and always, I, I, when I teach, I tell my students, you can never the eye of the poem, you don't, you never assume the eye of the poem is the poet. That's first rule. So it's for me, the eye of the poem could be any woman who has experienced any of the things that I write about. So coming to it from a perspective of sometimes women's voices aren't always taken seriously. Sometimes women's voices are ignored, silenced. And for me, this is, and again, it's always a little bit personal too, the idea of, you know what, people are, it's time for me to, to express the way that I, in an authentic voice. And, and that to me is a connection to other women who never felt like they could be authentic, that they could not express in the way that, that they felt was true to them. So, and the stories, like I said, they're very, I think many of my poems are narrative in nature. There are some lyricism in there as well, but they do capture women's stories, women's experiences in different ways, some ways that might not be super comfortable for other people. But to me, that's part of the part of the learning. So that's the and I, the dedication is to I'll read it to you. It's, it's, 
it says, for the women who made me. So it's not just about women in general. It's about my women. But that connects all women, I think. And then the rest of it is for my fierce, magical daughter. Right. So, you know, to me, that um, it's also, it's about that. Sorry, I get a little emotional. It's about the what I can give her to move forward. Um, and to me, that's giving her a voice. <laughs> it is a, a very powerful thing, just watching my wife and my daughter and how she wants to pass on the good things in life and, and telling her how to be powerful in life and how to have her own voice. Because now that I'm father of, of a daughter, of a female, realizing that there's already, at currently where we are, there's certain limitations that will, will people will put on her. Unknowingly, you have to play with this, these toys, or you have to do this, you have to fit in these norms here. And thankfully, we're, we're at the part that, that we tell her, like, no, you don't have to be the status quo. You could, If you want to play with dinosaurs, you could play with dinosaurs. It doesn't mean that you have to play with something. And, and I think that's the most important thing is to let them know that they do have a voice. And, and, and it's yeah, absolutely. And in the, the space and room to be authentic, to be, you don't have to fit into a box. You don't have to. <clears throat> and, and even if you screw up, the idea too, for me, the idea of our flaws being part of us. And when that's clearly, when you're writing from the eye perspective, you are examining mistakes and flaws and grief um, and regret. And to me, I, I don't know, I guess there are, I feel personally there are certain expectations placed on women that it that they're it, it's this force to bury and instead of burying, I'm unearthing um, and saying, no, this is what's real, and that's what's important to me to to, to put that out there to be like, look, these are things that we experience, the things that we feel, the magic of us. So I I guess it's putting that out there, I think is really important. And it's important for even young people. Like I said, some of the stuff in these poems can be hard, but I think it's it's necessary even for young people to read about. Absolutely. You mentioned young people. You mentioned teaching. I didn't mention that in in our intro that you also a uh, English professor for SUNY Sullivan. How does that experience uh, influence your work or does it influence your work? I spoke to some artists in the past and it, it could be a sort of mixed bag that they don't have time for themselves because they're giving everything to their students. In other words, I hear they get inspiration from their students. And you want to talk about your experience? Exactly. How does that influence your work? I think for me, the teaching is helpful in keeping me, especially when I'm teaching, obviously, creative writing and poetry, that kind of thing. The critical thinking aspect, the, the craft aspect. It sometimes keeps me focused. I uh, often, like when my students are writing in form, I make myself write in form. I'll give myself little assignments too. So I think that can sometimes keep me on track as far as practicing my craft is concerned. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, there are poems in this book that clearly my students are a part of. And it's, it, I don't know, just the different experiences, their different experiences, the different places they come from of course, can have an influence on the voices of my poems, the stories, what's being witnessed. So, yeah, that, I think it's, I think it does have an effect in some cases. I also, an assignment that I give one of the first workshops in my creative writing class, I'll put one of my poems in progress up on the board. I'll tell them it's mine. And it's their first work. They have to workshop this poem. And it's always such a, 
it's such an eye-opening experience every time that they're giving me feedback on it. And they, they feel, it's funny because they always feel like, we don't quite know what we're doing. I'm like, that's okay. That This is part of the process. And when they're done giving me feedback, I'll be like, thank you. That was, that was mine. And they're like, oh my gosh. They're like, totally. They like feel bad. And I'm like, no, this is what, this is how this works. This is the process. And I'm like, you guys, I do this to show you. We are all writers. We are all on the same page. Um, and I can learn from you too. And I'm like, I always tell them too, there are poems that I have had published that were published because my students helped me workshop them. Um, and, uh, you know, writing is, it, you know, writing a poem is not done in a vacuum. Like you have to have, you have to have somebody to bounce things off of. You have to have that. The audience is everything. So I think that that's an experience for me that kind of shows that connection between teaching and writing and how important it can be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely agree with that, especially the workshopping and going through the process of creating a, a work. I say it doesn't always happen in a vacuum. It may seem that way, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum because that the feedback, that criticism, it might be hurt a little bit, but at the same time, they're seeing things that you're not seeing. Um, exactly. And, that, and it can be anybody, but that's the beauty of it. People are like, oh, I don't know poetry. I don't. I'm like, doesn't matter. Your reaction, your response, is just as important. Like, how is it affecting you? What do you think? How are, you know, how are you feeling? All those things matter. It's all about the audience. You can't, if you're writing a good poem, you're not writing it for yourself. <laughs> you mentioned your poems are, are a labor of love, obviously, and, and you started sharing them in 2019. So how does the timing of, of when you wrote them and dedicating your book to your daughter and making the release on Christmas Day special for you? These, I can say this collection has been she, some of these poems were published in, in journals 15 years ago. There's one that, that mentions my son as an infant, and my son is going to be 18 in December. <laughs> so some of them are, are quite old, and, but as a collection, I, started re I, start, I put them together. The manuscript happened, happened like, I said, around like you said, around 2019, and that's when I started putting manuscript out to see if it could be published. And certainly, there were poems written that mentioned my daughter that she is clearly a part of, and my son too, that both my children, but this, because this poem, or this, this book of poetry is very much about women's voices, I, I think a lot about her. So it's, I don't know, I, I guess I, it's special just because, like I said, the, the idea of her being able to understand how women can be witnessed and experienced and heard that can, I'm hoping that will empower her and to see herself in poetry. I think everybody should see themselves in a poem. It's a, it's an experience that changes the way you see yourself. And then it being released on Christmas, I'm not sure if that has a special meaning to me. I, I'm not going to lie. I just was like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Christmas doesn't have really a special meaning to me. It's a lovely time of year and, and that kind of thing, but it doesn't really, uh, the release of the book on that date isn't a special isn't a special thing for me. I was just like, I'm just so excited <laughs> this is happening that my editor is like, oh, let's release on Christmas. I was like, yes, let's. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sorry, I don't have a very interesting answer for that. But <laughs> I have a poet on 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 the phone with me now, and you have a poetry book. So can you read us one of your poems from your book? Sure, I would love to. Is there anything that? Anything that sort of stands out to you that it would be hard to do, but encompasses your, your poetry book. But 
You know, I'll do this one just because I, I, I've been talking a lot about women's voices and, and being heard and that kind of thing. This is a sort of short one, and it was it was written, I think, in a bit of a rage, but I, I think that comes true. It's called, It's Best You Say If You Keep That Opinion Between Us. When told to be silent, my body goes deaf. A flatline squeal flashes red behind my eyes. My tongue seizes up. The girls I never kissed goodbye buried inside of me shudder. They were always the quiet ones, forced to hide truth to keep monsters safe. Hush me and my fangs sharpen. I unravel at the seams in a litany of blood growls. My thorny mouth thickens with the wildness of zombies resurrected, resurrected by a gentle suggestion. They stagger out, rush into this muddy river of risk that sucks them under again and again, but they rise without quit. Dark Ophelias who cannot float, bruised with the safety of silence. The scabbed trigger picked raw, words unfettered, mouth opening. That's Lisa Titus reading one of her poems from her poetry book, First Time, Every Time. Now I say the book is, is available for pre-order. Um, once the book is officially released, do you have any plans uh, for the book? Are you doing a book tour, any kind of readings, anything like that? I am planning on I'm definitely doing a book release party at Cabernet Frank sometime in December before Christmas. That is our thought. We have not quite nailed down a date yet. I'll, I'll try to get that on our social media, social media as soon as we know. So we're definitely doing that. And then I was waiting to have the books in hand, which I do now. So I'm going to be hopefully talking to some of my contacts at the local libraries and hitting up some local bookstores. I'm hoping to do that kind of thing. And I'm also going to go home to Western New York and, and try to do the same thing out there, get my local people interested and aware, and then I'll go from there. So that's my plan for now. Where can folks pre-order the book or order it once it goes released? So right now you can go to Brick Road Poetry Press and it can be pre-ordered there. It's they say that they're shipping on December 4th. Yep, so www.brickroadpress.com. And then you can go to books, order books, and then you'll see my book there. Yeah, so you can do that. And then I'm not super sure how once it's actually released on Christmas, how that works. I do know that it goes to third-party sellers then, but I'm not or where or how or that kind of thing. So I don't have that information. But again, I, once I get it, I will be making that available publicly. Absolutely. It's called BrickRoadPoetryPress.com. You can find the book there. We're talking to yep. Lisa Titus, poet from Grantsville, about her poetry book, First Time, Every Time. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the program and letting us know about your work and reading your work and sharing your, your thoughts on this. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And that does it for this edition of the Local Edition. If you ever miss a show, guess what? We have a podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, the Local Edition. Subscribe, share, tell your friends. Find us on social media. We're at WJFF Radio Catskill. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. Wherever you are in social media, we're there. Visit our website at wjffradio.org, the local edition. You can find upcoming guests, see past guests, and you can even listen to the show. You've been listening to the local edition. 
I've been your host, Patricio Robayo. We'll be back on Monday talking to the Sullivan County government about foster care. And don't forget, tomorrow in Barryville is the Barryville Tree Lighting. It's happening at 7 p.m. We are broadcasting it live on Radio Catskill starting at 7 p.m. I'll be there. Will you? Coming up for you tonight is The Daily, followed by The Mixtape. Stay safe, everyone. See you tomorrow at the Barryville. Tune in, WJFF Radio Catskill. Broadcasting live on 90.5 FM. Or on the phone, on the internet. Or even your Alexa. Alexa, play WJFF Radio Catskill. Have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor, CatskillBrewery.com, and listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. You're listening to Radio Catskill, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello.